Well, I want to uh, encourage all of you who are interested in being a part of the leadership team for Celebrate Recovery, <coughs> excuse me, to, uh, to make a commitment to be a part of that in January and to contact Chuck Mock or uh, any of the other folks to be a part of the informational meeting that will happen on October 1st. We just really believe that Celebrate Recovery is going to change a lot of people's lives, not only in our church, but in our entire community. And so we want to encourage you that if you're thinking about being a part of it, um, that you would uh, go ahead and do so. Well, good morning, and uh, my name's Chris, and if you're visiting with us this morning, (coughs) we want to say thank you and welcome, and we're so glad that you're in this place today. Now today, we're beginning a brand new series called Helping Friends Through Tough Times. And over the next four weeks, we're going to talk about four difficult things that people deal with. Today, we're going to talk about divorce. Next week, we're going to talk about debt. The next week after that, we'll talk about depression. And the last week, we're going to talk about death. And over these next four weeks, we're going to be discussing common crises that people have of these four things. Now, when someone is going through a difficult time, what they need is friends. Not just any friend, but they need real friends. And the Bible tells us this, two are better than one. If one falls down, his friend can help him up. But pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. I just want you to know that you were never meant to go through this life alone. You were meant to do it with people around you. You need other people, and I need other people. The issue is, we all need friends in our lives. Now, we don't need a lot of friends. We just need six or seven really good friends that are around us. So, again, you don't need a lot of friends. You just need six or seven who will be there when you're going through a crisis. So, what kind of friend do you need? And what is the characteristic of a real friend? Well, the Bible says this. Friends love through all kinds of weather. Friends love through all kinds of weather. In the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about what it means to be a friend. How to love our friends the way that Jesus loves them. And regardless of what storm they're going through, whether it's a hailstorm, whether it's a thunderstorm, a hurricane, a tornado, whatever it is, that as friends, we can be there to care for them. Now today, I want to talk about divorce. And we're going to look at this storm. In 1967, there were a couple of psychiatrists that put together a stress kind of study. The guys' names were Holmes and Ray. And what they found out is that the amount of stress that is in your life has a direct correlation to major illnesses that can happen in your life. 
And they found 43 kind of common stress events. And they rated them from one being the least stressful thing to 100 being the most stressful thing in your life. And they discovered that anyone, when they added all those up, if it was 300 or more, they had a higher possibility of having a major illness in that year. Now, I have a feeling that some of you are probably wondering, well, what are some of those stressful events? Well, let's look at it. There'll be a chart up here. The very, kind of on the low level, is 11 points of stress, which mean minor violations of the law. Any speeders out there? Oh, aren't we holy today? I'm not putting my hand up. Yeah. No. But, you know, if you get a speeding ticket, a minor violation, just 11 kind of points of stress. Now, last week I was on vacation, and in the stress test I learned that this one has 13 points. So if you go on vacation alone, it has stress of 13 points. Now, I wondered what it was like if you went on vacation with two little kids that were aged two and a half and four months. I think it was a lot higher. I don't know. But uh, I didn't find that. And what happens is, is the scale goes up and up. Like halfway in the middle, it's 50 points if you're married. Just by being married, you have 50 points of stress. But I think what's what even, uh, what was more ironic to me and more uh, really eye-opening was the top three stressors in life. At 100 points is the death of a spouse. It creates a lot of stress. 73 points is when you go through a divorce. And then finally, 65 kind of points of stress when you're going through a separation. So it's clear that the most painful and stressful events that happen in your life is when either your marriage is ended by death or by divorce. Now, I just want to talk today not about how you prevent a divorce. That's another teaching for another time. But what I want to talk about is how do you help your friends when they're going through a divorce? Maybe one right now or one that they will experience. Now, the reality is most people don't want divorces. And maybe your friend didn't want it. They fought it, but it happened anyway. And you, as a friend, are one of the most important people to help them through this experience. Now, I want to be up front just to let you know a couple of things. First of all, there are only two legitimate reasons, biblical reasons, for divorce. The first one is adultery. And you can look that up in Matthew 19 this week. If you want to look at that, you can or the second one is abandonment in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. But the reality is that God really does hate divorce. In fact, the Bible tells us this in Malachi. The Lord God said, I hate divorce, says the Lord. Now let me be really, really clear, because I know many of you have struggled with divorce, or you have people in your life who have. God doesn't hate people who go through divorces. He just hates divorce itself. And you might ask, well, why? 
because he knows the type of pain that it causes. Pain in your life, pain in the life of the other person, pain in the life of your kids and friends and family, pain in life of people on the outskirts. Divorce just creates a lot of pain. Now, I realize that several of you here have gone through this, and you didn't really want the divorce. You opposed it. You did everything you could to try to prevent it from happening. But in the end, it took place. I mean, it takes two people to make a marriage. You can't do marriage with just one person. You can't save a marriage with just one person. It takes two. I wish it could just take one person to save a marriage, but it doesn't. Sometimes, no matter what you do, you just can't save it. Now, I've been pretty open and honest about my own marriage and the different struggles that Jennifer and I have uh, faced uh, throughout our marriage. And the first couple of years were extremely difficult. In fact, um, we should have been divorced. There's no reason with the struggles that we had that we didn't uh, have that take place. And we would have been divorced, I have a feeling. If we hadn't made a decision, both of us, not just one, but both of us made the decision that divorce was just never going to be an option in our marriage. Now, we've gone to tons of counseling over the past uh, few years. In the first couple of years, we went to a lot of counseling. We had family and friends that were praying for us uh, and our marriage. And like I said... We just decided it wasn't an option for us. We simply said, we're going to make this marriage work even if it kills us. Jennifer tried to kill me two times in the first couple years. I mean, to be honest, those first couple years, it was miserable. I mean, it was. I often say this, I've been married 15 years, 13 of those years happily, you know? And I have a feeling that some of you have experienced that as well. But this is what I'm saying. If only Jen had made that decision, or if only I would have made that decision, we would have never made it. It took both of us to say we would make it because there was so much pain in those first couple of years. We would have been divorced, except this is what we did. We took the escape hatch that's in marriage, and we shut it, and we threw away the keys. We just said, we're not going to talk about it, we're not going to hint about it, we're not going to even bring it up, we're just throwing away the keys. But sometimes in a relationship with another person, that other person doesn't hold that same value that they'll do anything to save the marriage. You can't save the marriage by yourself. Sometimes circumstances are beyond your own control. So what I want to do for the rest of our time together is, I want to talk about six things that are in the Bible that talk about what we should do to help friends when they're going through a divorce. Now let's look at the first thing. The first thing is, when your friends are going through a divorce, real friends show up. Real friends show up. Real friends don't send you an email Real friends don't send flowers. Real friends don't send you a card. Real friends don't even call on the phone. Real friends show up to your house. Real friends walk into your life 
when everyone else is walking out of your life. I mean, it's in the crisis that you learn pretty quickly who are your acquaintances and who are your friends. The reality is, if we took a a, a kind of survey of how many acquaintances we have, each person here, you have hundreds of acquaintances. But you probably can only count on one hand how many real friends who are there. Who is a friend in your life when you're going through a crisis? Did you know that the Bible says that even when people turn their back on God, that they still deserve friends? That even when they yell at God and they say, God, I'm not into you right now, I don't want anything to do with you, I'm angry, I'm mad, I'm upset, I don't like you in my life. God still says, even when they say that about me, they still deserve friends. The Bible says this, A despairing man should have the devotion of his friends, even though he forsakes the fear of the Almighty. God says, even when they turn their back on me, they still deserve friends. You know, the first thing that people need when they're going through a crisis is, is they need other people. You need other people. I need other people. The friends in your life who are experiencing crisis, they need people around them. That is the number one need other people have. Other people. Some mature Christian brothers and sisters who will love you, who will encourage you, who will support you, who will help you through a difficult time, who won't walk away, who will challenge you at some times, who will counsel you, who will meet your needs. That's why over the past year, I have talked about small groups more than I have ever talked about them in the history of the jar. One of the things I wish I would have done from day one is encourage our people to be in small groups. More, uh, just as important as being here on Sunday, is to be in a small group of people that are encouraging you and lifting you up through crisis of time. Because the reality is, on Sunday morning, we only have about an hour, an hour and ten minutes to kind of deal with stuff. And then you're gone, and you face the rest of the week. And you need some people in your life who are going to support you. And I just want to encourage you, if you're not in a small group today, do it. Just tell yourself, I'm going to do it no matter what. Because the reality is, folks, a crisis is going to hit your life. And when a crisis hits, you need friends around you in the storms of life. And you have to have some friends who are for you. Now again, you don't need a lot of friends. All you need is about three or four or five, six, maybe seven friends that are there for you. But you need to get in a small group and allow them to build it into your life. Because when you are in a crisis, what you need is you need people around you saying this. It's going to be okay. We're going to pray for you. We believe in you. We know that you can get through this. Because often, when a crisis hits, we stop thinking. I mean, if you walk home and you find out that your wife is leaving you, 
Or you walk in the door and you find out that the husband has taken all of his items and has walked out. You don't even have time to start thinking about prayer. You just need some people around you who are going to encourage you and love you through that time. This is what was happening in the story of Job in the Old Testament. You see, during Job's life, he was the wealthiest man in the world. He was kind of like Bill Gates. And he had all this money, all this wealth, and in one day, he lost it all. He lost everything. He lost his family, he lost his land, he lost his wealth, he lost his health, and he became very, very sick. And here's the first thing that some friends did for Job. They didn't do everything right, but the very first thing they did was right. The Bible says this, When Job's friends heard about all the troubles that had come upon him, they set out from their homes and met together by agreement to go and sympathize with him and comfort him. What these guys did was they just formed a small group. They said, we're going to go and be with our friend Job. And we're going to stay with him. And we're going to encourage him. And we're going to be there for him. And that's what they did. Gary Moore has been attending the jar for about three and a half years. And a couple of years ago, he decided after hearing about small groups, he and his wife to just give it a try. And... Uh, Gary talks about being pretty apprehensive about that. He'd never really done that before. He's more introverted than he is extroverted. And so he thought, you know, I, I don't want everybody knowing all my business. But he said, you know, I'll give it, I'll give it a try. And so he did. And uh, there was some awkwardness in those first few times that he connected. But uh, finally, a crisis hit his life. His uh, father was rushed to the hospital, and his life was just kind of held in the balance and didn't know whether or not he was going to make it or not. But what happened immediately was these people that were in a small group started showing up. They showed up at the hospital, and they prayed for him. They brought food, a lot of food, and then they prayed more. But most of all, they just showed up. You see, when you're going through a crisis, what you need is just people sometimes to show up. Let me just say this about this message. It isn't about people who are facing crisis just right now. If you're in a crisis... I want to encourage you as your pastor, as someone who loves you, get in a small group. Be a part of Celebrate Recovery. Just get some people around you. Not a lot of people, but a handful of people who will love you and encourage you and help you through this thing called life. Don't pull back. Don't uh, put up walls. Don't isolate yourself. You need people, particularly Christian people around your life, to encourage you. Because... There is no reason why anyone here at the jar should ever have to go through anything alone. I know people in these small groups, and many of them are waiting there with open arms to be friends for people. So number one is you just show up. The second thing that real friends do is when a friend is going through a divorce, this is what a real friend does. They share their pain. They share their pain. 
Now, when I talk about sharing their pain, I'm not talking about sympathy. People don't need your sympathy. Sympathy is this. I'm sorry you're hurting. Empathy, on the other hand, is what people need. And empathy says this. I will hurt with you. You see, sympathy kind of stands at a distance with their hand up and says, Boy, sorry you're going through a tough time. Empathy walks across the room or to the house or wherever it is, and they reach out to care for that person. I will hurt with you. Now, the ultimate kind of form of love is compassion. And compassion says this, I'll do anything I can to stop your hurt. And there are very few people that show that kind of compassion, but Jesus Christ was one of them. The Bible tells us that multiple times Jesus came into a situation and it says He had compassion upon His heart. And ultimately Jesus said, I'll do whatever it takes to take hurt away from you. And ultimately He did that when He went to a cross and He took up on all the hurts, not just of you and me, but of the world, and said, anytime you come to Me, I'll take those hurts. The Bible says this with our friends. Laugh with your friends, and when they're happy, share tears when they're down. That means you cry when they're crying, you shed tears, you weep with those who weep. This is exactly what Job's friends did right, right at first. Look at this scripture. It says, Then they, the friends of Job, saw Job from a distance, and they began to weep aloud. They haven't even talked to their friend yet. They just see him from a distance. They know he's in trouble. They know he's hurting. And they go to him and they just start weeping with him. Then it says this, They tore their robes and they they sprinkled dust on their heads. Now I'm not telling you to do that, okay? But in the Middle East culture, what that meant was when they threw dust on their heads, it meant that there was this sense of mourning, of sadness, of I understand what you're going through, and I'm here with you. It's like a funeral kind of perspective where you go in, and sometimes your grief is so deep, you're just there with the person. You share their pain. Then they sat on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights. Can you imagine that? Sitting on the ground with someone for seven days and seven nights, no one said a word to him because they saw how great his suffering was. This is what real friends do. They show up, they share pain, and then they shut up. And the shut up is just as important as the other two. Job's friends didn't try to give advice. They didn't try to say, oh, it's going to be better. They didn't try to kind of wash away his pain. They just said, Job, we are here. We're not leaving. We're going to see you through this. Now, let me be clear also here in telling you this. Let me tell you what sharing another person's pain is not. What sharing another person's pain is not, especially when they go through a divorce. You don't trash talk the ex. You don't go up to him and go, you're right, he was such a loser, okay? You don't say, oh, he's no good anyway, you're better off without her, just let him go. 
Because bad-mouthing the ex, folks, is counterproductive. I can honestly tell you, I've talked to several people and they go, that never helps. I have those feelings enough. I don't need them, you know, expressed more. Folks, real friends are proponents of marriage. Because sharing pain doesn't mean you put somebody else down. It means you just share in the hurt of that person. You say, I know you're hurting. I'm here with you. I'll share your pain. I care about your hurt. Here's the third thing that you share. So you show up, you share their pain, and finally you support them with prayer. You support them with prayer. Real friends support people when they're going through divorce with prayer. When they're going through a divorce, a death, a bankruptcy, whatever the crisis is, they support them. And you'll want to pray with them, and you'll want to pray for them. But prayer is important. Now some of you might be saying, well, I don't know how to pray. I wouldn't even know where to begin. Why why do you pray for someone when they're going through that? Well, let me tell you. The first thing that you want to pray for when a friend's going through a divorce is this. Lord, help them to recognize your presence. Lord, help them to recognize your presence. Lord, just help them to know that you're there. Help my friend to know that they're not alone, that they're not by themselves, that there isn't this distant God that is far away, but that God is present. He is with them. Because when you go through a divorce, the one thing that everyone struggles with when they go through a divorce is loneliness. You just feel all alone. The Bible says this, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. God is close to you when your heart is breaking. It's one of the closest moments that God has in your life when you're really hurting. The second thing that you pray for is this. Lord, help them to receive your grace. Help them to receive your grace. Now, what does that word grace mean? Grace means that there's nothing you can do to make God love you more, and there's nothing you can do to make God love you less. God simply loves you. He gives you grace. He gives you unfavored merit during a time when you're struggling, when it's difficult. I was thinking about it this week. God's grace is kind of like Red Bull energy when you can't go any further. You know, it's like you can't move on. You don't even know if you want to go into the next day. But God's grace somehow comes there and says, you can do it. You can make it through this. I'm here for you. When your tank is low, God's grace fills it up so that you have enough energy to go through this thing called life. So you help your friends receive God's grace. The Bible says this. Let us approach the throne of grace. That's God. With confidence, so we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. All you got to do is you come to God and you say, I need their presence. You pray, God, would they feel your presence and would they receive your grace? Here's the third thing. Lord, help them to release their pain. Lord, help them to release their pain. When you give people permission to cry out to God, 
When you tell them it's really okay for you to share anything with God, if you're ticked off, if you're angry, if you're upset, if you're happy, whatever it is, if you just cry out to God, whatever that thing is, He can handle it. He's big enough. You can even cuss God out. He's big enough to handle anything that you're going through in life. And when you're crying out to God, what does that look like? What does that mean? Well, it means you tell Him exactly what you're feeling. You tell Him exactly what's going on in your life. No holds bar. No holding anything back. You know, there's a prayer that I have prayed millions of times. And this is it. Help! Help, God! Help! I just can't go another day. I can't do anymore. I'm struggling. I'm hurting. I'm afraid. I'm scared. I don't know which way to turn. It seems just so difficult. What am I supposed to do? God, you've got to help me. You've got to step in in this moment. And when you pray like that, that's what it means to cry out to God. You tell Him exactly what you're feeling and thinking. And you know the cool thing is? God loves it when we cry out to Him. He loves it. Last week, uh, my family and I were on vacation. And we were getting ready to walk out of uh, the housing that we were in. And uh, there was this uh, uh, sidewalk. But it was a cement sidewalk. And we have a a two-and-a-half-year-old, and she thinks she can run faster than she can. But she can't. And she started running, and she ran, and wham, boom, hit her head, flat. Big old goose started, you know, pouring out. Skinned her knees, started bleeding all over the place. And she's on the ground. All of a sudden, I hear this, Daddy, help! And at that moment, I didn't think, You know, she shouldn't have been running on the cement. We've told her that many times before. Or, I'm not going to listen to her right now. You know, she cries all the time. She's two and a half. I ran to her, and I reached down, and I picked her up. And the blood from her little niece, you know, started on my arms, and I was just holding her. And folks, when you cry out to God, that's what He does for us. He rushes immediately to whatever our cry is, and if we'll let Him, if we'll just reach up to Him, He picks us up and He just kind of holds us in our pain. And when you go to God and you cry out to Him and you say, God, help me. I don't know what to do. I don't know where to turn. I'm scared to death. Help me. That's crying out to God. And when a friend is going through a divorce, they need you to help them know that it's okay to cry out. The Bible says this, I cry out to the Lord. I plead for His mercy. You see the emotion there. I pour out my complaints before Him and tell Him all my troubles, for I am overwhelmed, and you alone know the way I should turn. When you cry out to God, you let your emotions go just like Jordan did when she fell down, my little daughter. 
You don't hold anything back. You just let it all out. Because the Bible tells us that God wants to hear everything in your life. So many times we minimize our prayer because we think, oh, it's not important. It is important. Everything that you have going on in your life is important. God wants to hear everything. In fact, the Bible says this, Give all your worries and cares to God, for He cares about what happens to you. God really does care what happens to you. And He wants you to share it all. He wants you to cry out to Him. So so you show up, you share the pain, you support through prayer. And here's the fourth thing. Real friends do when people are going through divorce. Real friends start with forgiveness. They start with forgiveness. I'll tell you, the most important thing that you can do to a friend when they're going through the difficulties of a divorce is you help them to forgive. The most important issue of any divorce is forgiveness. They're going to have to learn to ask for forgiveness from people. They're going to have to accept forgiveness from other people. And they're going to have to offer forgiveness to people. Now you might say, well, why? Why is this forgiveness thing such a big deal? Because if you don't forgive, the divorce is just going to eat that person Alive. Anger, bitterness, and grief will just consume you if you don't forgive when you're going through a divorce. In fact, those three emotions are more difficult to get through than the divorce itself. I've counseled dozens of people when they're going through divorces. And I'm just telling you, if you don't get a handle on the damaging kind of Emotions of anger and bitterness and guilt, it will rule you for the rest of your life. There's only one cure to divorce when you've gone through one or you're going through one. There's only one antidote. There's only one solution, and it's forgiveness. You ask forgiveness, you accept forgiveness, and you offer forgiveness to other people. You know, there's just no way, really, to get well from a divorce. I wish there was another way. But there's no way to get well through a divorce except to offer, accept, and receive forgiveness. If there was another way, I'd tell you. If I knew another way to do it, I'd tell you. But eventually, it comes right down to it. That's the only way. I mean, there's no other way to get healed from Bitterness than asking, accepting, and offering forgiveness. The Bible says this. Get rid of bitterness, forgiving each other as in Christ God forgave you. Now, forgiveness is not about whether or not the person deserves it. Most of the time, people don't deserve forgiveness. You don't deserve forgiveness. I don't deserve forgiveness. None of us deserve forgiveness from God, and yet He freely gives gives it to us. Forgiveness is not about justice. Forgiveness is about getting on with your life. You just finally say, I'm not going to let that person control my life. I'm not going to let anger or bitterness or grief control it. I'm just going to go on. You must give up control and forgive. So I just encourage you, when you have a friend who's going through a divorce, just 
encourage them to get rid of the bitterness and forgive. Now, I just want to warn you here for a moment. You're going to have to probably forgive multiple times. A lot of times, people think it's a one-shot deal. I'll walk in, I'll say I'm sorry, and that's it. That's not the way it happens. Often it's multiple times that you have to forgive, and it's not just your ex, but it's your cruel in-laws, it's friends or family who've been judgmental and mean to you. But if you don't forgive those, you'll carry the bitterness to your grave, guaranteed. When you forgive, you become better, not bitter. Here's the fifth thing. Real friends suggest accepting reality. Real friends suggest accepting reality. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this one, but it's important for you to understand that helping friends to accept reality is really important. That things are the way they are. Maybe you wish they were some other way. Maybe you hoped they were going to end up another way. Maybe you thought it would be something else, but it's not. And so you just have to accept it. The Bible says this, Wounds from a friend are better than kisses from an enemy. I mean, sometimes, folks, the truth just hurts. And a friend is willing to tell the truth even when there might be some pain attached to it. Now, I'm not saying do this on step one, okay? Person's going through a divorce. Tell you what, better accept it. No. All those other steps. You show up, you share their pain, you support them through prayer, you encourage forgiveness, and finally, when you've got enough leverage there, you tell the truth. You step up to the plate. You tell them they're going to have to accept reality. The only way for peace to come to your life is when you accept the past. You don't get peace in your life until you accept the past. You accept the fact that the past is in the past and you can't do anything about it. No matter what you do, no matter what you say, no matter how much you wish it would be changed, you can't. Real friends help their friends in a divorce to accept reality. Here's the last thing. And maybe the most important step when you get to this point. A real friend is one, when you're going through a divorce, a real friend speaks words of hope. They speak words of hope. When you have a friend who's going through a divorce, you need to be a hope pusher. I mean, you just continually give them more and more and more hope. Friends speak words of hope. They say things like, you're going to make it. You're going to get through this. We're going to be here for you. The Bible gives us a good example of that when it says this, God who began the good work within you will keep right on helping you to grow in His grace until His task within you is finally finished. God is not finished with anyone in this place yet. He's constantly wanting us to continue to grow. And you have to remind your friend when they're going through a divorce, use the pain that you're experiencing to grow. Don't get stuck in bitterness and resentment. Don't let this define the rest of your life, but use it to honor God. 
This past Wednesday morning, uh, if you got up early, and I was driving about a little bit before six, there was tons of fog. Pastor uh, Isaac was talking about fog this morning, and on Wednesday, I mean, it was a thick, heavy fog. I mean, I couldn't even hardly see, you know, down my road. And I was going to meet with a friend of mine who's going through a divorce right now. And uh, we've been meeting to pray, and I sat down with him, and we started praying. And God's Spirit, just kind of not in literal words, but just with kind of a prompting, told me to pray and to use the fog. Because the reality is, this person is in a foggy world right now. He's going right through the middle of a divorce, and there's fog all around. He doesn't see anything. And so I just started praying, God... Just like with this fog, we can't see the other side of the road. And we can't see the sky. But God, sometime today, this fog is going to be lifted. It's going to be cleared. And I pray for my friend's life that what he would understand, that one day the fog is going to clear and there will be a light of hope for his life. When people are experiencing divorce, they need words of hope. They need friends to break through with light of hope in the midst of their fog. I have a feeling today, in a group of people this size, that there are some of you that are experiencing some fog in your life. And I bet there's some of you that are feeling it heavy right now. You're going through a crisis. And I just want you to know that I'm sorry that you're having to deal with that. I know what it's like to go through a crisis, to be afraid, to be scared, not knowing what to do. Is it, are we even going to make it tomorrow? How are we going to turn? How are we going to deal with it? But I want you to know this, that God is with you. He hasn't walked away. He is with you. And his greatest desire is that, like Jordan looking up to me, that you would turn and you would cry out to him. In fact, the Bible says this, put your heart right. What's that mean? What's that mean to put your heart right with God? It means this, God, I want to do the right thing. Not the easy thing, not the comfortable thing, not the convenient thing, not the thing that I want to do, not the thing that all my friends are telling me I should do, but I want to do the right thing. And so in the verse it says this, put your heart right, reach out to God, then face the world again, firm and courageous, then all your troubles will fade from memory. Now I know some of you right now, you're not in a crisis. But uh, let me give you some hope. It's coming. Because this is the reality, folks. You're either in a crisis, you're just coming out of a crisis, or you're getting ready to go into a crisis. And if you're not in a crisis right now, what I want to encourage you is be a friend to someone who is. Be a friend, the friend that God wants you to be. In your programs, if you'll just pull them out, and we'll uh, kind of conclude here. But if you pull them out, in the teaching outline at the bottom, it says right there, it says, what friend is going through a crisis 
that I can reach out to, that I can help. And I'm just going to give you about 20 seconds. But I want you to think about that. Maybe you know somebody right now, a friend of yours, a neighbor, one of your two people that maybe you've been praying for, or a person you've been praying for, that you could just write their name down. And for those of you who didn't write down a name or you couldn't think of one, there's three steps there this week that I'd encourage you to do. Start praying for God to show you someone that you can reach out to. Show up and show God's love to your friend. And then finally, share with them hope and invite them to church. You know, church is one of the most hope-filled places there are. But it's the place where we often isolate ourselves from. And next week... We're going to be talking about helping friends through financial crisis. Anyone have any friends that are going through any financial issues today? Yeah, like all of us, right? And so it's a great place for them to come. So be a friend this week. Show up. And show God's love. Let's stand for closing prayer. Father, we can restore a lot of things in life. We can restore cars. We can restore houses. We can restore antiques. But only you, God, through your Son, Jesus Christ, can restore broken hearts. And God, I don't know whose heart is breaking today, but I'm sure there are some. And I just pray that every single person in this place right now would be open and receptive to the healing that you want to do in their heart. In fact, for some of you, you might pray this prayer just kind of silently to yourself. But Jesus, I've got some damaged emotions. I've got some unfinished business and I need your help. Jesus, forgive me of my sins and relieve me from my grief and just help me to look at what's left in my life, not what's lost. Help me to replace my grudges with Your grace. Restore my soul. I just surrender every area to You. And as we still kind of have our heads bowed and we're, we're praying to God, I just ask that you'd pray for the person beside you. Not out loud, I'll just kind of give you the words, but to the person on your right that you just pray, just silently in your mind, but a prayer about them that you just pray, Dear Jesus, please heal the hidden hurts of the person on my right side. Just heal the hurts, God, of the person on my right. Maybe there's an aisle that goes all the way across, but you could pray for them. And then for the person on your left, just kind of silently in your mind to, to ask God, you know, dear Lord, just please heal the hidden hurts of the person on my left. God, you've heard our prayers. We know you'll show up. We pray in Jesus' name. 
Amen. Have a great week. Know you're loved in this place.